Hey, welcome to the 1505 Club. Today I want to talk with you about a secret of success which ultimately leads to creating the life of your dreams. When most people hear the word discipline, they think of punishment. There's a reason why this happens, but discipline doesn't mean punishment. It means something else entirely. If we understand what real discipline looks like, then we can explore the benefits and how we can use it to create incredible and sometimes unimaginable results. So let's talk about discipline. When you hear the word discipline, there are two kinds of discipline that should immediately come to mind. Outside discipline and self-discipline. If we think of outside discipline as being punishment, then we're forced to think that self-discipline must be some sort of self-inflicted punishment. Why would I want to engage in self-inflicted punishment, and how could I possibly think that it will be of any benefit to me? So let's start by giving discipline its proper definition. Discipline means training, pure and simple. Now let's assume that you begin training for a triathlon. I use this analogy with the assumption that you are not currently trained up and ready to do a triathlon tomorrow. In case you're not fully aware, that means over two miles of swimming to start off. When I did lifeguarding in high school, we would begin with one mile of swimming, and that would usually take about an hour. I'm a really good swimmer, but it's difficult to maintain your normal speed over that distance. So the longer you swim, the slower you go. Over two hours of constant swimming does not sound like a good time to me. It also means cycling over 100 miles. At my normal cycling speed, that would take me five to six hours. Again, I've never cycled for that long and I doubt I'd be able to maintain my usual cruising speed for anywhere near that long. Finally, you finish up with a full marathon distance of 26 miles of running. I have neither the desire or the ability to run a marathon, so I estimate that would probably take me eternity. Seriously, probably another six to eight hours. Personally, I can't imagine finishing a triathlon on the same day that I began. So let's say you wanted to train to do one of these monsters. Obviously, you would need discipline just to get out of bed and begin the training. You'd also need discipline to control your diet and make sure you're getting the right nutrition to support that much intense activity for that long of a duration. Maybe you have the self-discipline to provide your own training, or maybe you need some outside training to give you discipline. The point is, no matter how you choose to begin, it's going to feel like punishment. This is the reason why so many people confuse discipline with punishment instead of training. The more difficult and the more worthwhile the goal, the more it's going to feel like punishment when you begin. If you simply punish yourself for the purpose of punishing yourself, you will find that to be highly unprofitable. Only discipline that produces training is profitable, and that makes it so that we can endure the feeling of punishment. When I was a sophomore in high school, I was the quarterback of my football team but I was not a team captain. One of the team captains would always make it clear during warm-ups and hell week that he was having fun and that he found the experience enjoyable. That seemed ridiculous to me, considering how much pain I was in and the fact that our training included a healthy amount of actual punishment for being so lazy over the summer. The fact that this captain wasn't bothered by anything the coaches threw at him was very intimidating to me. One day I realized that he was in just as much pain as the rest of us, but he was just putting on a show. The show wasn't just for our benefit to intimidate us, but it was also for his own benefit to keep him motivated. In other words, he was training his brain to handle the training his body was about to receive. Fast forward to my senior year, and I learned to embody the same principle in my own training. 
It was my goal to always be on my feet faster than the, any person who tackled me. If someone thought they got a good shot on me, I'd hop to my feet and offer a hand to help them up. I was certainly aware of how intimidating that was, but it kept me out of the zone of thinking about pain or thinking about reasons to quit. The point I'm trying to make is that discipline isn't just about what we do on the outside. It begins with repetitiously repeating the thoughts we need to have on the inside. To put it simply, most people spend too much time listening to themselves and not nearly enough time talking to themselves. If you don't control your thoughts, your thoughts will control you. This is why all discipline or training begins in the mind and it expresses itself as action. What I learned from that football experience is that you can also train the mind by submitting to the action and telling yourself how to think about it. Now you may be wondering, what is the benefit of training myself to have discipline? Well, I'm glad you asked because I think this part is extremely valuable and necessary as you attempt to run a business and practice your craft. As I've said before, it isn't called practice because we're practicing chiropractic the way a novice musician might make squeaky sounds on a violin. No, it's called practice because we're taking theory and knowledge and we're putting it into practice to attain phenomenal results in the real world. Practice experience doesn't mean that there's something to be gained from attempting and failing over and over. Practice experience is highly prized because it means you've put theory into practice to attain real-world results. Those who have practice experience understand that proper application isn't always so simple as the theory might lead us to believe. Nonetheless, the first benefit of discipline is that you stop wasting time. The only thing that I hate more than wasting my time is having other people waste my time. I love efficiency, so I can't stand wasting time. How do you know if you're wasting time? Is this time that you are spending profitable, whether you are enjoying it or not? See, that's the trap. You might be enjoying the time you're spending, but it's not profitable, and therefore, you are wasting time. So let's get harsh about this. Is your exercise routine creating a higher level of fitness that you can objectively measure and confirm? If not, you're wasting your time. Is your diet giving you the fuel you need to feel better, function better, and achieve objective results? If not, you're wasting your time. Okay, let's get really harsh. Relationships are the people around you bringing out the best in you and helping you to become the best version of yourself. If not, you might be having a good time, but you're also wasting your time. Mental self-discipline means having these difficult conversations with ourselves. If you lack self-discipline, then you probably need someone else, like me, to force you to have these difficult conversations with yourself. Kind of feels like punishment, doesn't it? So let's talk about that dynamic for a second. No person is ever born with self-discipline. It's something we all have to learn. That means someone has to teach us, otherwise we'll never develop it. This means, at least theoretically, that an important part of parenting is teaching discipline so that children will acquire self-discipline. Unfortunately, this is happening less and less, and parents become more concerned with trying to be their children's friend, and they neglect the unique role of parenting. This problem began generations ago, so it's easy to conclude that if your parents never taught you discipline, then you would have no idea how to teach it to your children. The situation is understandable, even if it's still a problem. I say this because I realize, as you're listening to this, that you may not have had parents who taught you discipline, if you even had both parents to begin with. I want you to know that this does not leave you without hope in the discipline category, but it may be an uphill battle for you, and it will most certainly feel like punishment. Don't give up on the concept just because it's something you aren't used to. It's easier to learn self-discipline if someone teaches you discipline first, but even if they don't, you can choose self-discipline on your own. It begins with controlling your thoughts and then your actions. I like to draw a distinction here. 
It isn't totally accurate, but I think you'll soon see why. I've often said that self-discipline is the ability to tell yourself no, and self-control is the ability to tell yourself yes. In other words, there are times when our natural inclination is to do something unprofitable, and it takes conscious self-discipline to tell yourself no. However, it is no less valuable to recognize that there is a natural entropy that keeps us from doing what we know we should do, and that also requires self-discipline to say yes and make ourselves get up and do it. It's also possible to be really good at one of these and really awful at the other, so we should not assume that we are automatically good at both. I have known people who are really good at saying yes, and their early morning exercise routine was indicative of this, but they failed to realize that their inability to tell themselves no when it came to relationships and people was slowly destroying their life. Predictably, they thought the solution was to say yes to more of the things that they were good at saying yes to rather than to do the hard work of developing the ability to say no and preserve what they had already created. I heard a quote this week that when you lack a purpose outside of yourself and bigger than yourself, then you will focus all of your attention on the feeling of pleasure. This is the beginning of hedonism. Hedonism is never profitable, and it actually comes at a huge price, a price that's rarely recognized until it's too expensive to bear. So we should always self-evaluate by recognizing the ability to say yes and no separately and appropriately. Okay, so getting back on track. The first benefit is that we stop wasting time. Along with that comes an increase in efficiency. The second benefit is something that I think is often undervalued. That is the ability to create consistency. If someone complains about their exercise routine or their diet, I'm sure that your first thought is that they probably aren't being consistent. I mean, we all know that chiropractic is far more effective when you are consistent. Consistency requires self-discipline. One of the reasons I love teaching is that my mom was a junior high and high school teacher for 16 years. I'll always remember when she told me that the thing junior high students need, they crave it actually, is consistency. They need predictability. It wasn't until sometime later that I realized it's not just junior hires. In fact, nobody outgrows their need for consistency and predictability. If you show me someone who's unpredictable, I'll show you someone who lacks self-discipline. These two things always go hand in hand. It isn't just your behavior that becomes consistent, but your mood as well. The outward actions are merely a reflection of what's happening on the inside. Consistency of character and consistency of mood will always precede consistency of action. Consistency of action is going to give your patients an entirely different experience in your office than inconsistency will. In the restaurant business, a chef who sometimes undercooks or overcooks the food isn't going to be able to hide that inconsistency for very long. In our business, inconsistency is not so readily obvious, but it might be harder to attain as we look to create consistency in our technique, our results, our conversations, our recommendations, and countless other factors that determine the patient experience. This is why I think consistency is a tremendously important but undervalued attribute in the chiropractic profession. Because of this, it's often overlooked that self-discipline is the key to creating that consistency. The third benefit of self-discipline is that it creates character. As leadership icon John Maxwell says, character protects your talent. How many times have we seen athletes or musicians who are obviously very talented, but because of their lack of character, they drift into obscurity as their talent is lost to the world? Obviously, the world is cheated out of the opportunity to experience and enjoy their talent. But even more than that, they have cheated themselves. Think of all the politicians who have... Oh wait, never mind. Politicians never get in trouble for their indiscretions. 
So unless you're going to become a politician, you need to develop character to protect your talent. Character is often a throwaway word because nobody really knows what it means anyway. So everyone has their own definition based on what makes them look good. When we use the word character in this way, we're actually referring to integrity. Integrity is a word that comes to us from the ancient Roman army during the time of the 12 Caesars. Each morning, the army would do inspection to ensure that all of their equipment, both offensive and defensive, was present and properly attached to their bodies. Each soldier would call out the word integer, which means wholeness or completeness. If you remember from math, an integer is a whole number, again, signifying this concept of wholeness. As the story goes, the Roman army grew sloppy over time as they became overconfident in their abilities, and this led to them becoming less disciplined with integrity. It was the lack of integrity which ultimately led to the defeat of the Roman army and the fall of the Roman Empire. In much the same way, individuals stand strong when they have integrity of character, but without it, they fall. The interesting thing about morals is that science has bucked the common conception that morals are learned, and has demonstrated that morality is in fact something we are born with. Instead, it is amorality and immorality that are learned behaviors. In other words, it isn't about learning proper morals, but rather we are in a fight to avoid eroding our moral and ethical compass. This is a very different concept than how most people think of morals and integrity. We preserve our ethics and our morals when we act in accordance with them, and we resist the tendency to simply ignore them or, even worse, to act contrary to them. This demands that we take an honest look at ourselves and accurately judge the motives and intentions behind our actions. You can see why this requires self-discipline. It isn't hard to imagine that an undisciplined person would never engage in such an activity and is highly susceptible to the erosion of their ethics and morals, leading to a loss of integrity. So, this is the third benefit of discipline. I'm sure there are more benefits to discipline, but the fourth and final benefit that I'm going to cover is that it gives you the ability to overcome adversity. I know we don't like to think about it, but adversity is coming if you aren't already there. As the saying goes, you can't win the game in the first quarter, but you can lose the game in the first quarter. One thing that I don't think is often mentioned is the fact that there are people who are out there who are actively looking to take advantage of you. They might show up as patients, or they might be your landlord, your business partner, or even an instructor. There are people out there who truly believe that if they don't look out for themselves, then nobody else will. This leads them to look out for themselves at all times with no regard for the consequences, especially when the consequences are for someone else to pay. These people generally believe that the best defense is a good offense, so they tend to attack others before they can be attacked themselves. Remember, we see others as we are, and not as they are. If you're the kind of person who's always looking to take advantage of others, then you're going to see others as always looking to take advantage of you. That's all the justification a person needs to take advantage before they can be taken advantage of. I know that probably sounds pessimistic, but I've seen these types of people throughout my career, and I can tell you they're becoming more prevalent, not less. I often tell my classes to expect that the worst patients they will ever see will show up in the first few months that they are in practice. Why is this? It's because these predators see new blood, fresh meat, or whatever you want to call yourself, and they can't resist taking advantage to see just how much you're willing to put up with. Self-discipline is the key to getting through these situations with your dignity and self-respect still intact. John Maxwell says that successful people make important decisions early and spend the rest of their life managing those decisions. If you enter this situation having already made the important decisions regarding your fees, visit frequency, how many segments to adjust, and things like that, then you simply have to manage that decision with self-discipline. 
If you don't make these decisions firm in your mind beforehand, you leave yourself vulnerable to being manipulated by the kind of people I described previously. I wish I could tell you that you will not encounter people like this, but unfortunately, I'm quite certain you will. So again, self-discipline is the key. Without it, you will certainly suffer, and I don't want that for anyone. It certainly isn't easy to create self-discipline, and it isn't something that can be done overnight. Creating self-discipline is a slow and often painful process. Remember, it isn't punishment, even if and when it feels like it is. One of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard in this regard came from Andy Stanley. He calls it the most important question ever. It goes like this. In light of my past experience, in light of my present circumstances, and in light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? This question might seem a bit simplistic at first, but I promise you that in the middle of an important decision, it makes it so easy to know what you should do. Half the challenge of self-discipline is just knowing the right thing to do. Once that has become obvious, then you just need to set the self-control to make it happen. Self-control is like a muscle. If you don't usually practice self-control, then you won't be very good at it, and you'll find it's extremely difficult at first. If you do practice self-discipline, then you won't find it too difficult. But that doesn't mean you can't continue to build on the foundation that's already there. One thing that I've seen over and over, and it's the one thing that I would say all of the best Gonstead docs have in common, is a high level of self-discipline. It takes self-discipline to learn technique. It takes self-discipline to continue to study and learn from the current literature. It takes self-discipline to run a practice while being the doc at the same time. Self-discipline is a huge key to your future success, and that's why we're talking about it today. You need to do your own self-inventory and be brutally honest with yourself in your assessment of your own self-discipline. If you feel this is a weakness, then you need to start working on it now. The easiest way to do that is with the tips I've already given you. First, determine the right thing to do and trust your gut on these things. Second, start talking to yourself and telling yourself, yes, when you need to do it and no, when you shouldn't do it. Like exercising a muscle, it will get easier and easier the more you do it. Well, I hope you learned something valuable today. Next week, we will be at the Meeting of the Minds. This year, the Meeting of the Minds is hosted by Sherman College of Chiropractic. We'll be doing a student workshop on campus next Friday. The workshop will be conducted by the Gonstead Fellows and Diplomates. Obviously, I will be there, but so will many of the guests that you've heard on this podcast, like Dan Lyons, Kristen Fellows, David Geary, David Curry, and many more. If you're a student or doctor and you can get to Sherman College next Friday evening, you are welcome to attend. There's no other opportunity like this to get so many experienced Gonstead doctors together in one place with the singular goal of teaching students. It's going to be awesome and something that I look forward to every year. On a side note, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a review for this podcast, I would greatly appreciate it. The more reviews we get, the more we can spread the message of Gonstead Chiropractic around the world. We currently have a full third of all our listeners listening to us outside the United States. That is truly awesome. And I want you to know that just because we aren't currently able to travel to teach you in person does not mean that we value you any less. I very much look forward to being able to travel once again and to educate all the young doctors around the world who are passionate about practicing this life-changing technique. It's life-changing for both the doctor and the patient. Till then, I hope you have the very best week possible, and I'll see you again next time.